Morning, church. I'm not sure Jesus knew how to act at funerals. If you're wondering how did Jesus act at funerals, he usually spoke to the dead person. Let me share that with you. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So Jesus and his disciples are traveling along on this day. They see this funeral procession because a dead person is being carried out. Jesus sees this woman, the only son of his mother, and she's a widow. So she's done this march before. She's been in a funeral procession before. She's already lost her husband, already been robbed of death once, now twice, and we keep reading. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. You might think that's insensitive, but Jesus said, don't cry because he has a purpose. Then Jesus went up and he touched the coffin And those carrying it stood still. And then Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. So he sees the woman and his heart goes out to her. And he speaks to the woman and he says, don't cry. And then he touches the coffin and he speaks to the dead person. And Jesus tells him to get up. And Jesus gives him back to his mother. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus turned a funeral procession into a celebration. Jesus turned death into life. We're in a study of First and Second Thessalonians, and we're preparing for the second coming. And Paul, in these two short letters, gives us just a little syllabus on how we can prepare and what we need to do to prepare for the second coming. So let me tell you what's happening here as we read in 1 Thessalonians 4 today. This is a young church. Obviously, these are young Christians. And they were not too far removed from Jesus being alive. Some of them probably knew Jesus. They're not far removed from his death, burial, and resurrection. And so Paul writes them a letter. And in this letter, he stresses and tells them, Jesus is coming back. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, he mentions that Jesus is coming back. But here's the problem. They thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. They thought when they were told Jesus is coming back, that it was imminent, that it would be at any time. And yet somewhere between A.D. 33 when Jesus died and A.D. 51, which is about when this letter was written, obviously some of the Christians had died. Obviously some of the Christians in this church had died. And if you're thinking Jesus is coming back in my lifetime, if you're thinking Jesus is coming back at any time, then the question is, what's going to happen to those who've died? What's going to happen to my loved ones who have died? We thought Jesus was coming back. And our loved ones have died. What happens to those? Will they miss the second coming? And so Paul says two things in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And we don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So he's writing to give them 
assurance. He's writing to talk to them. Their main concern is about those who have fallen asleep. Their main concern is not, can you give us the order of events? Can you tell us how all of this is going to play out? No, his, his writing is, what do we do? How, how do we respond to those who have died? And he says, we don't want you to be ignorant. Check this out in the message. Regarding the question that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried, we don't want you in the dark any longer. First off, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave were the last word. So Paul's addressing their question and their concern. It's real simple. Hey, Paul, what happens to those who have already died? What happens to our loved ones who have already died? And again, he says, well, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to grieve. That word ignorant is not a derogatory. The word in the original language is, we don't want you to be misinformed. We don't want you to wonder about. We don't want you to have any doubt. We don't want you to be saying, I didn't know. We want you to understand. So he says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Interesting word. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who are sleeping. In the Greek language, cemetery means sleeping place. We don't want you to be concerned about those who have fallen asleep. Remember in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was preaching and Stephen preaches this phenomenal message and they didn't like it and they stoned him and they killed him. And here's what we read. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Interesting terminology because Paul says we don't want you to be ignorant. He doesn't say about those who have died. We don't want you to be misinformed, uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. But he does say this. Whoops. We believe that, different word here, Jesus died. We don't want you to be ignorant, uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. But we want you to know we believe that Jesus died. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus had to die. Jesus paid our sin debt. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. By this gospel you're saved. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. That's not the word fell asleep. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to Scripture. Now, Jesus died. We believe that Jesus died, so we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. And he also says, I don't want you to grieve. I don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. There are some, there are some Christians who believe that you ought to stand strong in the face of death. That you shouldn't struggle with death. That Christians should show no emotions at death. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, I don't want you to grieve. I don't want you to be full of sorrow. The word implies a heaviness. We don't want this to be heavy as compared to those who have no hope. He says it's okay to grieve, but don't grieve as those who have no hope. As, though, as those who have nothing to look forward to. As if the grave were the last word. 
I don't have to tell you that we live in a world of despair. We live in a world with no hope. We're surrounded by people with no hope. You work with people who are overwhelmed and might even say they have no hope. You live day to day with people who believe life is meaningless. You're inundated with people who live with no hope, who die with no hope. And you watch people grieve with no hope. And Paul says, not as Christians. Not as Christians. As Christians, we live with hope. As Christians, we die with hope. As Christians, we grieve with hope. And here's, here, here's what our understanding is. Here's what our hope is based on. We believe. We believe. We believe. Those are crucial words to the Christian faith. As Christians, we believe. God doesn't call us to explain. God calls us to believe. Here's what we read in John's Gospel. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe. I mean, we weren't around when Jesus lived. That was thousands of years ago. We just have to believe. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. I can't explain how God created the world. I'm just called to believe. I can't explain the flood. I'm just called to believe. I can't explain how the walls of Jericho fell. We're just called to believe. I can't explain the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'm just called to believe. I can't explain a lot of things about Christianity. We're just called to believe. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. For without faith it's impossible to please Him. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe. Must believe that He exists. And so Paul writes and he says, Listen, I, I, know, I know you're concerned about those who've fallen asleep. But he says, I want you to remember this. We believe. We believe. Do you believe today? Many people do. You believe in Jesus Christ? Many people do. Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth and lived and died? Many people do. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Many people do. But there's a lot of people that don't believe He rose again. But we believe. We believe. And he goes on, he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Why is he writing to this church? Paul, what's going to happen about the people who've already died? We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Because we believe that Jesus died, and because we believe that Jesus rose again, we believe that God will bring with Him, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. That's why He's writing. That's what He wants to tell the church in Thessalonica. And that's what He want to tell, wants to tell us. These words are meant to remind us. These words are meant to comfort us. These words are meant to encourage us. What are, what's going to happen to those who have died in the Lord? We believe that Jesus died. We believe that Jesus rose again. And we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Our confidence on what God's going to do in the future is based on what God did in the past. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe 
that Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in the Lord. Now, those words should give you hope. Those words should keep you informed. Those words should call you, cause you to live differently because as Christians, we're not called to hopelessness. As Christians, we're not called to live without hope. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, Before you became a Christ follower, so before you became a Christ follower, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, and before you became a Christ follower, you were without hope, and you were without God, and you would grieve as one who has no hope. Again, from the message, you must not carry on like people who have nothing to look forward to as if the grave were the last word. The grave is not the last word. And so that's why he says in verse 15, according to the Lord's own word. Listen, I didn't get this from a newspaper. I didn't get this from some talk show. I didn't get this from watching TV. This is straight from the Lord's mouth. According to the Lord's own word. This is what Jesus says. And we believe, since we believe in Jesus, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is straight from the mouth of Jesus. So if you've lost loved one, if you've lost loved ones, if you are wondering about those who have fallen asleep, if you're wondering about those who have died in the Lord, here's the words from the Lord. The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that... We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So it doesn't matter whether you died and are in Christ or you're alive and you're in Christ. We believe. We believe there's going to be a big family reunion because we believe, Acts chapter 1, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus will come back. And Paul says we need to live like Jesus is coming back because we believe. In John chapter 11, we find Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. And all those gathered there today had no hope because Lazarus had died. And Jesus said to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's interesting because Jesus went and spoke to Lazarus because Jesus seems to speak to dead people. And he told Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the grave. He told Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus got up. And Paul wants these Christians in Thessalonica to know, and he wants us to know today, that when Jesus speaks to those who've already died, and when Jesus speaks to those who are still alive in Him, and He says, come forth, there will be a reunion. And that's what he wants this young church to know. Those who have already died in the Lord, they're not going to miss out. Those who have fallen asleep, they're not going to miss the second coming. Those who have died... There's life beyond the grave. Those who have died, there's still hope. And that's the hope that we have. We believe that Jesus is coming back. And so we live with that hope. Peter says it this way. He's given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope rests, our hope for the future rests in what God's already done in the past. So when Paul saw people grieving about those who had fallen asleep, he said, hey, you remember the resurrection of Jesus? You remember the resurrection of Jesus? Those who are struggling with loved ones who have died in the Lord, you remember the resurrection of Jesus? I just want to point you back to the resurrection of Jesus. What about those who have fallen asleep in the, in the Lord? He said, listen, I've got some good news for you, and I want you to encourage one another with these words. We believe that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. And when he comes, there's going to be a loud command. And it's going to be the voice of the archangel. And it's going to be a trumpet call. It's not going to be a, a, a quiet event. It's not going to be a secret event. You won't have to wonder if you missed it. You will know. Everyone will know. And again, Paul's not trying to tell us about the order of events that we sometimes wrestle about. Okay, what's going to happen first and what's going to happen next? And what about the people who have died? And what about... He's not trying to give us an order of events. He's trying to reassure us that Jesus is coming back. And He's coming back to get us. So we are to comfort and encourage one another with these words. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Love that terminology. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. When He gives the command, it's going to be, get up. When He gives the command, He's going to return us to the Father. Because that's what Jesus does in the face of death. He still responds the same way when he sees death. It's get up. Because he wants to return us to the Father. And he keeps pointing us back to the resurrection. Because Jesus lives. Because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Bill and Gloria Gaither, that was a 1974 gospel song of the year. And we're going to sing that today because Paul wants us to go back to the resurrection and be reminded because he died and because he rose again and because he lives, we have hope. We can look forward to. And those who have died in the Lord, our loved ones who have died in the Lord, we have hope. We will see them again.